Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. Good morning, everybody. Thanks, Jesse. Good morning. Morning, Val. Yeah, good morning, everybody. Um, it's, it's great to be here. Um, it's lots of people I don't know. So, Welcome. Be great to uh, to meet you after the service, or yeah, it's probably all there is. Really, can't really do it now. It's a bit early. Anyway, it's great to have uh, it's great to have you here. It's great to be here. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but almost everyone has an opinion about Jesus, don't they? Everybody, um, whether you're a Christian or atheist, everyone seems to have an opinion on who Jesus is. Like, I don't really have an opinion on a lot of other people in the world, but everyone has an opinion on who Jesus is. Um, He was a good teacher, some people say. He was an evil deceiver, other people say. He was an angel, perhaps. He was a figment of our imagination. Or he was just some random bloke who lived a couple of thousand years ago. And for some weird reason, we celebrate him at Easter and Christmas. I think that's probably the majority opinion. Well, I reckon if you want to know who Jesus is and was, a great place to go is to hear it from him. Yeah? You want to know anything about Phil Brown? Yeah, come and talk to me. I'm probably the person that knows the most about me than anybody, I think. (laughs) Alison's not in here, so we're okay. So we go to Jesus. Anyway, that's what we've been doing for the last seven weeks. We've been going through a series called Jesus According to Jesus. We've been specifically looking at the seven I am sayings of Jesus recorded in John's Gospel. We have had a look at, I'm the bread of life, I'm the light of the world, I'm the door, I'm the good shepherd, I'm the resurrection and the life. Last week, Jesse preached... I am the way, the truth, and the life. This week, today, Jacko was going to preach, I am the vine. And next week, just before Easter starts, I was going to wrap it all up for us. But Jacko contacted me this morning, and he's really crook. I don't know what it is, but he's not feeling great at all. Um... And he just, he asked, Phil, were you anywhere near being prepared? The answer was no. Um, I haven't written it. Um, (laughs) But I have this, his word. And I have the spirit of God living in me. He's promised me his spirit dwells in me. And I'm standing here before a bunch of believers. I hope you're all believers. If not, come join us and become a believer this morning. But I'm standing here before a bunch of believers who love the Lord, who are also full of the Holy Spirit, and that want to hear him speak. I'm pretty sure you don't want to hear Phil Brown get up and gabble on. You're here to hear God speak. So we're really going to have to just rely on him. He's very big, he's very clever, he's very powerful, and he wants to speak to his people. And he can do that through a completely unprepared buffoon like me. So if your hearts are open to hear him speak, he's going to speak. So, let's pray. Father God, 
We always need you. And Lord, no matter how prepared a preacher is, at the end of the day, it's all about what you're going to say to your people. So Lord, come this morning, open all of our hearts, unite us together in one spirit. And Lord, through your spirit, speak powerfully through me to everyone here, including me. Lord, we want to hear what you have to say. I want to hear what you have to say. Not just the words, but what you're really wanting to say to me and what you're really wanting to say to everyone in this room. So Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that you are the great God who can do anything. So Lord, come this morning and speak, we pray. Amen. Um, Actually, when I found out, I asked my nine-year-old to pray. And he came over and he prayed. So we're all good. So each of the seven I am sayings starts obviously with the words, I am, followed by something he wants us to know about him. So he says, I am something or other. So I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the vine. When we hear the words, I am, it's, all, it's always followed by something. You don't just get up and say, I am. It kind of doesn't make any sense. Um, it's always followed by something. So, I am a dad. I am a financial advisor. I am a terrible soccer player. That's what Jesus did. I am the light of the world, and so on. The focus of each of those sayings is saying something about him, some wonderful things about him, who he is, his relationship with his people, his relationship to the world. But I want us to focus not on the bits that come after the I am, but the first bit, the I am itself. Because there's a couple of times in John's Gospel where he just says, I am. He doesn't say, I am the light of the world, or I am the bread, or I am the door. He just says, I am. So the first is in John chapter 8, verses 53 to 59. So please, if you have your Bible, open it, because there's no slides. That's it. That's the only one we've got. So you're going you're gonna to need to read. So John chapter 8, verses 53 to 59. If you've got it on your phone, that's okay. So the Jew, this is at a time when the Jews are quizzing Jesus about who he is. And he's been performing miracles and he's doing all these amazingly wonderful things. And the Jews are getting very, very annoyed at him. And he's doing some things that are contrary to the way they think things should be done. And they, they question him. And they accuse him. They accuse him of, of being a, having a demon. They accuse him of insanity. Um, so this is one of those times. So this is in John 8, from verse 53. So the Jews say to Jesus, Are you greater than our father Abraham, who's dead? And our prophets, who are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I honour myself, my honour is nothing. 
It is my Father who honours me, of whom you say that he's your Father. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I'll be a liar like you are. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. They they weren't rejoicing at seeing Jesus. They hated him. But Abraham rejoiced to see Jesus. Wow. Then the Jews said to him, You're not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? Really? You're obviously insane. You're 50 years old. Abraham was a couple of thousand years earlier. You've seen him. Really? No more proof needed. You're either insane or you've got a demon or both. You're not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Why did they react like that? He said, before Abraham was, I am. So, well, they picked up stones to throw at him, to kill him, to stone him to death. You don't stone someone to to death for being crazy. That wasn't one of the penalties for being crazy. They don't stone you to to death for that. They don't stone you to death for having a demon. They might put you away from everybody else so you don't hurt anybody else, but they don't stone you to death. So what was going on? They don't stone him for those things, but they could stone him for blasphemy. I think that's what was happening here. He said something that they understood to be blasphemy. He, a mere man, and he was standing there and he just looked like a bloke. Nothing, the Bible says there was nothing special about Jesus. He didn't look, he wasn't this glowing, fabulous thing with you know, a glowing halo over his head. None of that. He was just an ordinary bloke. Nothing unusual about him. But this bloke, an ordinary bloke, was claiming to be God. Now that's a pretty big claim. Can anyone think of a better, bigger claim than that one? I don't think you can. He was claiming to be God himself. And this happened a few times in, in John's Gospel. Later in John chapter 10, 31 to 32. Turn there please. That just gives me time to think a little bit. The Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. And which of these works do you stone me? What did I do? The Jews answered him, answered him saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself God. That's why they picked up stones. A mere man claiming to be God. You can't get any more blasphemous than that. Their whole lives were bound up in 
worshipping God. And along comes this bloke, an ordinary Jewish guy, carpenter from a, from a town from nowhere, really, claiming to be God. No, they picked up stones to stone him. Well, did he actually say, I am God, in that passage in John 8? He said, I am. So what was the trigger? What was the thing that caused them to, to pick up stones? Well, let me take you back to the Old Testament. Again, Bible, to the front of it, near the front, Exodus, chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 to 14. So this is at the time of Moses. Moses had grown, grown up in Egypt, and um, he'd basically um, grown up in Pharaoh's house, in the house of the king. And when he was older, he got himself in a little bit of trouble. He saw the Jewish people being persecuted and maltreated by the, by the Egyptians. And he rose up and he ended up killing one of them. And he had to escape. So this is Moses. He's, he escaped, I think he was about 40 when he, when he left Egypt. And he's out, basically, he's now got himself, in, living in a new area, he's got himself a new boss, a guy called Jethro, who's also his father-in-law, working for his father-in-law, looking after his sheep. So here's, Mo, here's Moses, chapter 3 of Exodus. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to, to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. You know the story of the flaming, the flaming bush? This is it. So he looked and behold, the bush burned with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I'll now turn aside and see this great sight, why this bush doesn't burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush, God called to him, from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. I tried to do a shaky voice then. I don't think it came out very well. Then he said, God said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon him. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to land flowing with milk and honey, the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. And I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come now therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt." But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that you should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, I will certainly be with you and this shall be a sign to you 
that I have seen that I've sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your father has sent sent me to you, what are they going to say? They're going to say, which God are you talking about? What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Got the picture? Moses in the desert, flaming bush, God speaks to him. Who are you, God? I am. That's who I am. I am. I always was. I am now and I always will be. I just am. In the Hebrew text, if you can just open up your Hebrew Bible, you've got your Hebrew Bibles there? Actually, you do on your phones, probably. Um, where it says, I am, it was, it was actually the, the Hebrew letters... Um, that translate to, to YHWH. So you've heard of God called Yahweh, or sometimes it's pronounced Jehovah. Um, the sacred name of God. It was four letters, YHWH, the sacred name of God, I am. So fast forward about 1,500 years, so we'll leave Moses back there. The common language at the time of Jesus, 1,500 years later, it wasn't Hebrew, it was Greek. And the Bible Jesus and the Jews at the time used was a Greek translation. So if you've got your Greek translations there, open them up. So imagine Jesus and the Jews around him, they had, their Bible was in Greek. It wasn't English, it wasn't King James Version, it was the Greek version of the Old Testament. Sometimes you might have heard the words Septuagint, that was basically one of the, the words for the Greek translation of the Old Testament. You know, this, so these guys and Jesus, when they, when they read the Bible and when they read in the, read in the synagogues and when Jesus was proclaiming, he generally read from the, from the Greek Bible and the Jews would have understood the Greek Bible. When you read the words from Exodus in the Greek Bible, it's the words ego, emi, up on the screen. See on that side? That's the Greek. Ego imi, which is basically translated, I, I am. So, in the context of Jesus telling the Jews that he was greater than Abraham, he uses the words no human could proclaim about himself. Jews, I know you hate me, I know you think I'm insane, or I have a demon, but if only you knew, if only you believed if only your hearts were truly towards God, you would know that I am. And I am the God you claim to follow. Ego emi. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. I am your God, he says to the Jews. And this morning, he says to us, I am your God. Whether you believe him or not, he is your God. Well, that was too much for the Jews. So they would have heard it very clearly that he was proclaiming himself to be God. So they picked up stones to throw at him. 
It says, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. So I don't think he went and hid behind a bush or behind a tree or something. It says he hid himself and went through the middle of them. So I think he must have kept their eyes from seeing where he was. Whatever, however, he, however he did it, he did it. He wasn't ready to die. It wasn't the right time to die. It wasn't the right way to die. So he hid himself and went through the midst of them. pretty great. Jesus wasn't ready to be killed, so he wasn't. Later in John's Gospel, he uses the words ego, emi, again, in a completely different context this time. I want you to turn to John chapter 18. So let me set the scene for this. John chapter 18. So Jesus and his disciples have just finished the Passover meal. He had his, his group together. They'd shared the bread, they'd shared the wine. At the end of the, the, end of the meal, uh, Jesus prays for his disciples. So John chapter 17 is this amazing prayer. If you get a chance... This week, read John chapter 17, the prayer of Jesus. As you read through, you actually find that he's actually praying for you. He's praying for me, um, which is just amazing. It's just a beautiful prayer. And he finishes praying, and it's the Passover night. We're talking Good Friday here. Um, Thursday, Friday. The Jews have a kind of different day system. Finish the Passover, Jesus prays for them. And he says, Fellas, let's go. He takes them out to a place. They've been to a lot. So this is kind of their hangout place together. They'd go there to be with Jesus. You've heard of a place called Gethsemane, have you heard that word? You've heard of the Mount of Olives? This is where we're talking about. On this mountain. It's called the Mountain of Olives because guess what they used to have there? Lots of olives. And there was a garden. And it was a private garden called Gethsemane. And Gethsemane means olive press. So whoever owned the garden used to press their olives at this place. Anyway, Jesus must have known known the person that owned it and he'd go there quite frequently with with his disciples. So they'd go there to be with Jesus. They'd go there to pray with Jesus. They'd go there to learn from Jesus. And sometimes they just go there just to be with Jesus. But this night was different. Up until now, the time wasn't right for what was about to happen to Jesus. But now was the time. The plan of God to bring about the true Passover, the deliverance of his people from the grip of sin and death, the time was right and it was going to happen now. So you're with me where we are? We're in the garden. It's the night he was going to be betrayed. He was about to be crucified. Let me read John chapter 18, verses 1 to 11. So he's just finished praying. 
It says, When Jesus had spoken these words, the prayer, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. But Jesus, Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Who are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am. Now, I don't know if in your Bibles, does it have the little word he after I am? Does it also have it in italics? When you're reading through your Bible, if you ever see a word in italics, it's been put there by the, the people that, that put together the translation to try to, to make it make sense. Um, but it's not actually in the, in the Greek text itself. So they're putting a word in there just to make it sound right in English. It sounds, make, makes more sense to the ordinary person listening if you add the word he in there. Because he's answering a question. Who are you seeking? Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah, that's me. I'm him. But that's not what he actually says, though. He says, I am. And it's that word. Ego ini. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Then when he said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, who are you seeking? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I've told you that I am. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled which he said, of those who you gave me, I've lost none. Then Simon Peter, (laughs) having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then Jesus said to, to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? So let me go through this, this passage a little bit more. So again, we've had the Passover. Jesus has told the disciples, I am the true Passover. The whole thing where, where God rescued you out of Egypt... That's going to happen again. But this time, you're going to be rescued from, your, from sin and from death and from the power of Satan. He's been talking to them about that. And then he prays for them and then he takes them off into this garden. Now, it's really interesting. Um, when you're looking through the Bible, you, you see these little things. It says, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron where there was a garden. So he went over a brook. So what? Well, in context, this is the night of Passover. In Jerusalem, hundreds of thousands of people had arrived to celebrate Passover. That's where you went at Passover, to basically bring your sacrifice to the temple and worship God and remember God's deliverance from Egypt thousands of years earlier. So there were hundreds of thousands of Jews in Jerusalem. And what were they doing there? They were bringing their animals to be sacrificed 
and they brought their animals to be sacrificed at the temple. And there were hundreds and hundreds of priests whose whole job was to slay those animals and, slay, and, and present them before God on behalf of the people. This is the night where this is happening. Thousands of lambs are being slain as a sacrifice to God. All of the, the, the stuff that comes from a dead animal. I don't know if you've ever seen a, an animal slaughtered. It's really messy. And sorry if you're a bit squeamish. There's an awful lot of blood. At the temple, there used to be a big trough that used to carry the blood down at, away from the temple. And guess where it went? Into the brook Kidron. So here's Jesus, having celebrated the Passover. And he knows about what's about to come upon him. He knows he's about to be betrayed. He knows he's about to be killed. He knows he's about to be crucified for the sins of the world. And the first thing that happens is he looks down and he sees blood rushing along the brook. How has that made him feel? He was going to be the lamb. He was going to be one of those lambs about to be slain, the ultimate lamb. Verse 2, And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So he was about to go to a place where he hung out with his friends. It says, Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches and weapons. Now, again, it's really interesting when you start looking at what all this means. A detachment of troops. I, I guess when I, when I think about what happened with Jesus in the garden, you kind of have a bit of a mental image of... When, you, when we talk about it, you have a kind of a bit of a mental picture of what it might have been like. It was night. There's olive trees around the place. He's got his disciples. And you've got a handful of priests and soldiers coming with, with torches and, and, and um, swords and things to, to capture him. It says here there was a detachment... Now, detachment is anywhere between 200 and 600 soldiers. And it might not have just been the 11 disciples that were with Jesus. There might have been other people as well. There was a fairly common place for Jesus to be. So you've got a huge number of people in this garden. Why did they send a detachment of soldiers? Like, why did they send so many people to arrest Jesus? He's just a Jewish carpenter with a handful of fishermen for his disciples. Why did they need that? Well, remember what happened a, a, a little while earlier when Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem? What happened? There was a big crowd of people crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, save us. The people saw Jesus, a lot of the people saw Jesus as a potential Messiah who was coming to rescue them from the tyranny of the Romans. So there's a real threat. There's a real threat to the Romans. There's a real threat to the, the Jewish leadership. And they were afraid that it wasn't just going to be this Jewish carpenter and his fisherman, fisherman friends. It could be hundreds of people. This could be a full-on fight we've got happening here. So they sent a whole detachment of, of guys with torches and lanterns and swords at the ready. So can you, can you now picture what it's like? It's a different story to the way I always thought about it. It's this massive group of people coming towards Jesus. What did Jesus do last time? 
when they picked up stones to stone him. He hid himself and went through their midst. He didn't do that this time. It says in verse 4, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, who are you looking for? He wasn't about to hide himself this time. He had a mission. The time was about to happen. Now's the time. I'm not going to hide. In fact, I'm going to step forward into this. I'm going to come towards you and not hide. Because now the time is right. They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Then when he said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. Isn't that amazing? You don't often hear that story, that part of the story. When, we, when we're going through the nativity scene, uh, the, yeah, nativity scenes, the, um, the passion plays that we do, used to do at school and you see all these things on TV and you, you'd, you'd never see that scene. Has anyone ever seen a scene of that? Has anyone ever seen that portrayed? No, nah, it'd be too hard. It'd be really hard to, to portray when you've got a bunch of four-year-olds doing their, uh, their uh, Easter play at school. Um, but Jesus stepped forward and proclaimed, I am. And they fell back. Now, I don't know whether it was 200 or 600 or anywhere in between, but there were heaps of them. And something about what he said caused that reaction. And the way I think of it is God himself, in an act of mercy, instead of just going and slaying them, proclaims who he really is and has that reaction. There's no mistake about it. None of those guys that were there with their swords would have had any doubt about who this guy was proclaiming himself to be. And I don't know whether he bellowed it out I am God. Or it was just a simple, I am. But the power of whatever he said knocked over a couple of hundred soldiers, at least a couple of hundred soldiers. I often think about um, the whole story of the Passover. So go back with me again to Moses. Um, at the time of Passover, the people of, Egypt, uh, people of Israel were enslaved by the Egyptians, being treated very, very badly. God could have, he could have, just come and wiped out Pharaoh. He could have just wiped out the Egyptians. Couldn't he? He could do that. Easy for him, I would have thought. But he showed mercy. And he gave them time after time after time after time after time to turn and fall on their knees and worship God. Now, of course, we know the story that they didn't do that. And even when God himself shows up and slays the firstborn of all the Egyptians, they knew it was God. They'd, Pharaoh and the, other, and the other Egyptians had no doubt that God had shown up in their midst. But they didn't bow down. They didn't repent. They got more furious. I think this is what's happening here. Is that God gave these guys 
displayed who he was. Didn't just wipe them out. Didn't just slay them. He could have slayed them and made them disappear. Did the kind of the Thanos snap thing and they all just disappear. But he didn't do that. He proclaimed who he was and they fell back. I am. Now they know who they're dealing with and they don't care. They know who they're dealing with. They've felt his power and they don't care. We're going to kill him anyway. That's how insane this whole thing is. It's absolutely insane. There's lots of times in, the, in John's Gospel where there's just absolute insanity happens. You know when uh, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead? We looked at that a few weeks ago with the I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus raised his mate Lazarus from the dead. What's the Jews' reaction when they hear, hear that that's happened and they see Lazarus walking around? They plot to kill him because he's evidence of who Jesus is. Hello? Jesus has just raised this guy from the dead. And what's your attitude? Let's just kill him again. You'd think that they'd get the idea. Here in the garden, Jesus proclaims, I am. They fall back. They know the power. And what's their response? They asked him again. Sorry, Jesus asked them again. Who are you seeking? Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am. The next thing that happens isn't them falling back again. It's him then moving forward towards the soldiers. I've told you. But if you're seeking me, let these guys go. You don't need them. It's me. And that saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Of those whom you gave me, I've lost none. So imagine this. You've now got this massive amount of soldiers who have experienced the power of God and they are still furious and they are going to come for Jesus. And Jesus, instead of wiping them out or instead of running away, he says, it's me you're looking for. Don't hurt them. His last thoughts in the garden before he goes off is to protect his mates, is to protect his disciples. He could have let them die along with him. You know, I'm guessing it would be nice to have friends with you when you're going through all of this. But no, he says, let these guys go. And for some weird reason, they do. It's kind of odd, but I think that's just Jesus... He gives a command and they, they just end up obeying him. But Simon Peter, we love Simon. Simon Peter, so this is one of his best mates, having a sword, drew it and struck off the high, high priest's servant and, and cut off his right ear. So imagine this again. Now we've got a couple of hundred soldiers and we've got Peter, who I don't know what sort of sword he had, but I'm guessing it wasn't a proper big centurion sword and I don't think he had too much armour on. He goes, I'll die with you, Jesus. And his, his, his aim's so bad, he ends up getting the guy's ear. He doesn't even manage to kill him. Um, John's Gospel doesn't say what happens next. But if you go through one of the other Gospels, it says that Jesus touched his ear and healed him. Created a whole new ear on this guy's, on this guy's head. Um, and so Peter put it away. 
put the sword away. This isn't how it's supposed to be. These guys are coming to take me away and I'm going to go with them. No need for you to fight. Put your sword away. I've got to do what I've got to do. wonder what would have happened if Jesus hadn't done that. If Jesus hadn't have healed the servant or if Jesus hadn't have said, um, leave these guys alone. Peter and the other disciples would have run into this crowd of 200 guys and lasted about four seconds. But Jesus, again, in an act of mercy, protected his people, let them go. He healed the high priest's servant's ear, so there's no reason to fight anymore. We've actually fixed the problem. Slow down, everybody. No need for a fight here. This guy's okay. Then the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And in a couple of weeks, we're, about to, we're going to see, we're going to talk about what happens next. And we know what happens next. They take him away. They give him a, a mock trial. They whip him. They beat him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They make him carry this big wooden beam down, down a road, up a hill. They lay him on the ground. They get another beam. They put it across. They nail him to the cross. And one of the soldiers had already dug a hole in the ground. They probably got some ropes around the top of the, the cross where Jesus is nailed. And they hoisted him up and dropped him into the hole. And he died. He bled and he died. The I am. The God who came down at 15, how long ago was it? Three and a half thousand years ago, 1500 years ago before this happened. The God who came down and proclaimed to Moses, Moses, I want you to go into, into Egypt and I want you to set my people free. Who are you? I am. 1,500 years later, Jesus comes down from heaven, proclaims who he is, shows who he is, shows his love for his people, proclaims that he is the God who rescued his people out of, out of Egypt. And he's now going to rescue his people out of death and sin forever. Same God came down in human flesh and just did all of that for us. And he didn't hide, and he didn't run away, he stepped into it. He knew what was going to happen, and he stepped right into it. And he, he knew what was going to happen, and he knew why he was going to do it. And he was going to do it because he could see the, the depth of sin in people's hearts. He could see the desperate need for salvation. He could see the whole of humanity heading towards an eternity without God, a hopeless eternity of hell and punishment. So God, the great I am, steps down into human flesh, lives a perfect life, and then goes and sacrifices himself for us. It's not just a bloke from Nazareth, not just some great teacher, not just some figment of everyone's imagination, not just an angel, not just a great guy, 
not just a carpenter from Nazareth, but the great I am, God himself, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Ray, the God of Val, the God of Matt, the God of Mark. You're looking for your name to be called out. God of Phil stepped into history, the great I am, and came and died for us. And he died for me. And in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to celebrate that. It's just the most amazing time. And I, I hope that as we approach Easter, I hope and I pray that we can get a grasp on how amazing it is our great God came and what he did for us. I think we should pray. Let's do that. And then Jesse's going to come and lead us in a couple of songs, or a song, and then we're going to have communion together. Our great God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Phil, the God of everyone at City Light, the God of all of Adelaide, the God of all of Australia, the God of all of the world. Lord God, we're just so, so, so very grateful that you did what you did. That you saw our sin, you saw the death that we were marching towards. You saw our helplessness and our hopelessness. You saw us bound in sin. And you decided to solve it. You decided to rescue us. And you chose to become a man. And you chose to become a man who would live the life that we were supposed to live. And you became a man who would step forward in a garden where everybody hates him. And you'd step forward and you'd take our place. You became a man who was prepared to suffer and to be beaten and humiliated and stripped naked and nailed to a cross. You were prepared to become a man who would die. So we don't have to. You became a man who would suffer the wrath of your father. So we don't have to. And you became a man who would rise again and live forever and call us to be with you. So our Lord God Jesus, we come before you and we bow. We don't pick up stones. We don't run away. We don't want to, we don't come at you with clubs and swords. We come bowing down and we come saying thank you for doing that for us. The great I am stooping down to rescue us. We're just so, so, so very grateful. Turn our hearts towards you and make us see the truth of who you are.
turn our hearts in worship. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.